simple um, instructions take a lot of practice to put into effect. Because of our conditioning, as is a is one of of relating to things in in complex ways. In in meditation, although there is a lot of instruction and the terminology can be seem like further complexities certainly there's certainly difficulty and yet uh, the variety of the teachings is just trying to put across the same perspective in practice well many different ways find the way which will click for different people's conditioning So we have to, this word, reflect, scan, consider, recollect. And all mind has to be taken into account, mind conditioning in all meditation. And when we we are, say, practicing meditation on the body, you can't, you have to take the mind into account, don't you? It would be nice to say we could just be objective. They would just focus on the body and, and be objective. Hey, this is the body, this is feeling, breathing. Just know it as it is. This is, this is true, to, to know it as it is. But our attempts at being objective are often very subjective. So, when we feel we're being analytical, often we we are actually um, making an assumption rather than an accurate contemplation. So, through practice, one begins to to experience, say, the the biases of the mind, and without even needing to to absorb into the mind with using the body as a samatha, as a concentration, as a calming mode, so that the rhythms of the mind become a little more opened or less tangled. And then reflecting, this is rather like the body image becomes a mirror. You know, where you can see the way that you look at or don't look at and, and even some of the, the movements away now in contemplation one of the the uh, drawbacks is we start if we start asking why why is it like this because all you can ever find when you ask why is, is an idea a thought which doesn't get you anywhere really but to notice as it is movement away is like this this is how it is it happens this way this is a more productive 
for uh, insight. Contemplation of the body internally and externally. Rupa, the kanda, the aggregate, the category, class of form. And uh, yesterday, talking a little bit about transmuting what we call the body into elements for contemplation. You can transmute the body into just elemental quality, elemental properties, weight, matter, mass. And these four elements comprise all of the, the whole world of form, internal, external, other people's bodies, the seat that you're sitting on is like earth, isn't it? Solid matter. When you're walking on the on the ground, you feel earth. And then to to bring these symbols into action as for contemplation, we're using them symbolically. You know, actually saying the body is made out of clay or mud. Looking at food as earth, the earth element. Solid matter, isn't it? Now, what happens when we when we do that? It jolts some of our conditioning, our normal biases, into what we like, we don't like. We wish it was this way or that way. It's this. It's form in front of the eye. Are you chewing or feeling that the solid solid, solid matter? And it turns into liquid matter, doesn't it? Then it disappears. The form is impermanent, changing what you can know. And if you keep contemplating like this in, internally and externally, you find yourself just coming back to these, these truths, these simple characteristics of existence. So we, we're actually making the the vast and, and complex, baffling world, with all its uh, proliferations and forms and profusions, into something that's manageable for us. Not saying it, it actually it's, it is this way, or it is that way, or it isn't. But this is a way to cultivate a response whereby one, one, that response is able to be freed from the normal conditioning that's been established around the world. The, the uh, seeking this and the seeking that, the getting caught into details of this, that and the other. We live in a, in a society where there are so many choices that we can develop super-refined preferences over this and that and the other. Most people, if would not, say, consider eating food as, oh, just something to stop me feeling hungry, or something to keep the body together. They say, well, you know, and then the various ideas. You know, that organic food, a whole food, vegetarian, or proteins, vitamins, which at least is, uh, is coming from a good idea, isn't it? That which is perhaps most nutritious for the body. Other times, that which is most delicious, or rare, the lion's paws, or something extremely rare. 
as to satisfy a mind a mind's idea. Now we can project mind states onto to the world. Now seeing things as, as in these elemental quali- in these elemental forms is of course simplistic, but it's a symbol. You're not taking poetry as as a as mathematics or as as philosophy. You're taking it for what it can evoke in the mind, and what it can clear the mind from. So if you want to say, you, know, you want to know how to fix an engine of a car, you don't read uh, poem of Blake, do you? You have to look at an engineering manual, and it's this and that and the other. But then that, the rational, the purely rational, literal interpretation of the world is okay for, for just functioning on the mechanical level, but for enlightenment, it doesn't... <coughs> Just what are the effects? We feel somehow strangely abstracted. We don't feel... It's difficult to put your heart into it. One feels only a part of one's system is working. If we're just tinkering with our our bodies and minds like fixing the engine of a car. You could do it very accurately and have it all worked out. And yet somehow there's a whole lot lacking or we haven't touched upon their enthusiasm, devotion, generosity, kindness, patience. You haven't really, those, those can become just more ideas. Okay, okay, now get the patience out of the toolbox. Here we go. Let's then uh, give it three twists with uh, some loving kindness. And these make all these, these spiritual qualities rather inert. Though, uh, we're just using more poetic because poetry and symbolism can reach areas that normal vipassana cannot reach <laughs> refreshes <laughs> the parts that pure pure technical expertise cannot reach So it is, it's, it's, um, but of course you have to have the skill and the straightness and the dexterity. So you can, you're looking at the Satipatthana, how the, the Buddha was talking about the simple ways of designating the breath, then the, the body, looking at that in, in, in symbolic terms or in, in more um, figurative terms. And the Buddha's teaching is actually a lot of it is extremely figurative. So I like to call this the five khandhas, the five aggregates, which to us is not is a rather can't even really get to terms with the words. Somehow bunching up form, all form, internal and external, feeling, consciousness, then this perception uh, or or associative recognition. And mind formation thing is a figurative thing. You can't kind of cut them out of the body, or or even really see where one ends and the other begins. These are expressions of a reflection that we look into. But then, when you use them, they're exceptionally helpful. Form, 
we've got a feeling for what form is. And yet, if you, if you look directly into, say, the, the form of the body, and experience it directly, it's no longer form, is it? I mean, what do we experience our body as? But as somehow flowing energy changes things that we feel attracted to or averse to, uh, rhythms, not actually solid matter at all. But the symbol is helpful. So, you know, for reflection, you sit down in the bodily form, okay, within this context, and then the, how we can look at that. Now, to, to broaden and to contemplate, uh, the, the, um, development of cultivation is so that we are we're not getting into a kind of an on-off rhythm many people find this with say with retreats that in, you, you're on and then there's breaks when you're off and then after retreat you're definitely off and it gets further off the further away you get from it so you have to go on another one get back onto it but it's very important to use a retreat situation to really cultivate a good structure, a good foundation that you can that you can use in your life, contemplating internally and externally what is form. So whether we're walking, sitting, standing, lying down, we can know this is the form that I call, I denote as myself. This here, there's weight, movement energy and so forth, then external forms, houses, buildings, trees, other people's bodies, those. And essentially, on a symbolic level, they are all of the same. They all belong to the same realm, the realm of form. So whatever you can find in one form, you can find in any of them, really, on a contemplative level. When we consider things in this way, some of the envy... The, the, or the fascination, or the the sense of comparison dies away. You know, like with all our own bodies, then you know the, these are very real things to us, aren't they? They are. They are have an actuality to them. Other people's bodies, we can say, we can develop kind of notions about. You know, they look good or they look bad or better than me and so forth that they become rather than form they become um, self-conscious notions reflecting back onto herself what I'm like what I'd like to be with that that body that form or how it measures up to me rather than seeing this is form and being you being in your body I expect is very much the same as as this sense of me and mine, it's uh, the way it is. One doesn't feel fascinated by it or attracted to it. It doesn't something that uh, you, know, you can really um, long for, or even be repelled by. Actually, it's just the way it is. So that that calms down. We're able to contemplate going to, to different places in different countries, what do we see? We see form, 
the houses, trees, buildings, and then it's pretty much the same, really, from a contemplative level. So you're not always restlessly moving around, hither and thither, to see this and touch that and taste this and feel this. You know that essentially it's going to produce the same messages, like, dislike, neutral. No, we can experience the whole world of form just sitting here. You know, everything that the world of form can show you, you can, you can find out in, within this very body. You don't have to travel anywhere. And what's most important is you can find out the, uh, all the perceptions and the ideas you can create around form and their cessation when there's no longer the creation of notions but a direct communion with the way things are. And this, this sense of direct communion or samadhi, unification, being with the way things are, is where there's a, um, a joy, a brightness, tremendous uh, sense of unity, rather than a looking for it somewhere else. So this creates a kind of objectivity, doesn't it? By, by actually using this kind of means, this method. All the differences we can create, we know, are what we create. And we can let things resolve into fundamental qualities. This is the means of, of meditation, contemplation. So you're not form, perceptions, um, exp- uh, liking and dislike, feelings, the world of feelings, uh, are things that we can search for every different kind of feeling, whether it's bitter, bitter, sweet, sweet, bitter, sweet, sweet, very sweet, sweet, short, Sweet and light, sweet and heavy, loud, strong, and all these kind of adjectives around the different ways things can affect us. And these are certainly these we we can we can divide it up into that into the innumerable um, distinct qualities. But for what can we manage? What is actually manageable for us to, to realize a certain clarity and detachment from a certain objectivity towards it is a pleasant, unpleasant, neutral world of feeling. Voila. <laughs> this sums up Paris in the spring, London in the autumn, um, India in the summer, scuba diving, mountain climbing, highest the lowest, going to the moon and back, either pleasant, unpleasant, indifferent. That makes life a lot easier, doesn't it? As you're never going to get beyond that. So, this means we're not avoiding things. You don't say, don't go anywhere ever again. But you, there's none of this, there's no, not the compulsion or the inner agitation to think that I'm missing out. I'm missing out on life because I haven't, what, had pleasant, unpleasant and indifferent? Maybe this seems a bit brutal. 
but it's, the the aim is is uh, not to to be just kind of nihilistic and, and and brutal about life, but to to make to 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 provide a framework to make things manageable for us. So of course we can still go scuba diving, mountain climbing, or anything like that if we so wish. But then with this this mind that's looking, how does this feel? Does it feel pleasant, unpleasant, indifferent? Just trusting in the in the contemplative view means that life starts to simplify by itself because we begin to 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 this awakening mind begins to to cultivate some wisdom. Well, what is right for me? You know, and in this particular situation, uh, you can do this and, and so forth. You contemplate these same elements in this situation. But what is most important is to be able to contemplate it. So be, be very honest with yourself. Not what other things you can contemplate. Maybe you could, you know, you could meditate better, jogging, running up and down, or, or you don't need to sit on a retreat to do it. But be be honest with yourself. What really helps you to 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 stand back and, and look at things. Is it when the, the life is very varied and full and stimulating and pulling you out every which way with many different kinds of experiences or do you find it more helpful to simplify it all? Now, so this is this will help you to, to recognize say not just what a retreat's about but how to to give yourself some support and guidance in your life, just reflections like that. Uh, if you find that you can contemplate things um, better when life is very varied and, and and so forth, then this is what one should do. I found it more helpful the other way, because that provides a base for tranquility and uh, and dispassion. Now, with uh, uh, contemplation on of the of feeling vedana, this this so-called heap or category, mm. to channel our ways of recognizing and knowing things, and once we understand this, then. With, with some uh, help, we can recognize why we experience suffering and how to put an end to that, which is the aim of, of our practice. So, um, pleasant feeling. Look into, are things pleasant or unpleasant? Because particularly on a on a retreat like this, then there may be acute or discomfort, and the, the mind can be have unpleasant feelings in it. But there are also other situations which are that we don't find especially pleasant. Being slightly cool when it's out when we walk outside, maybe at the first few moments that feels 
unpleasant, or perhaps we find it pleasant and refreshing, and then it becomes unpleasant after a while, getting cold, brr, nice to go inside. We come inside, oh, nice and warm, pleasant, sit down, and then that passes away. As you've been hearing every morning and evening, Vedana is anicca, feeling is impermanent, comes and goes. The same thing can be pleasant at one time and then unpleasant later on. That which is um, neutral, neutral thing, like the breath. You can't say the breath is really uh, pleasant or unpleasant, but we can create pleasure or displeasure around that. It's, it's neutral. But what do you do with neutrality? First one may find it calm, and various pleasant adjectives, calm, tranquil, something I can compose myself on, feeling of steadiness. Oh, that's pleasant, isn't it? Then, notice, Vedana is impermanent. After a while, boring, dull, stodgy, not interesting, not getting anywhere, can't keep hold of it, unpleasant. Now, breaths, though they don't vary that much in tone, do they? What's happening? They're implanting pleasant, unpleasant feelings. Vedana. Now, contemplating this around just normal things, not around acutely agonizing, anguished feelings or, or delightful feelings, just around the normal, neutral or slightly unpleasant, unpleasant feelings that we can experience in this situation. And this is called uh, the middle way, so it's it's aiming at, at round about the middle of feeling, not being beaten up or or banqueted. But say that there are distinct tonal differences, and yet those can, in a retreat, those can become massive, can't they? The discomfort of of sitting for a while, we can make absolutely anguished. You could sit thinking, I, I can't stand up, agony, pain, screaming with agony. And yet, uh, for, uh, in terms of what the pain that human beings can experience just without any malice, just in sickness, toothache, say, the kind of sicknesses and diseases that we'll, we all have to cope with or are going to happen to us, this is nothing out of the ordinary. The, the discomfort or the pain of, of sitting is nothing really beyond the normal bounds of, of what's going to happen to us in our life. You break a leg, and then maybe you don't break a leg, but you get a headache, a toothache, we must have all had those. They are, are very acute. Or we're all probably going to get some disease that kills us sooner or later. It will be extremely painful. Or giving birth to a child. Um, extremely painful feeling, I've heard. <laughs> That's what I heard. Yeah. 
And yet it doesn't stop people having babies, does it? And say, they, 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 obviously it seems to be very popular habit, occupation. <laughs> There's probably more people having babies than sitting in meditation. And yet I think in terms of, of, of physical pain and, and the kind of prolonged difficulties and struggles and problems of, of, of bearing child, Meditation retreat is a is a breeze, and you compare with that. These are just very normal things I'm talking. I'm not talking about being uh, uh, beaten up or tortured, but just the middle of, of what a human being has to experience. Of course, the rub is the difficulty is is that in this situation, we think I don't have to. <laughs> I don't see why I should. Whereas if you're having a baby that's coming out of your body, you can't think, well, maybe. <laughs> it's a little late for that. you just got to... It's going to happen, isn't it? Or if you've got a... I suppose if you've got a toothache, you can go to a dentist and get it pulled and, and such like. But if you have an incurable disease that you can't do anything about. It's in fact that that possibility of things being other than they are that means the mind has this movement of, I don't want this, push it away, I don't see why I should be with this, maybe I could do that. And that is what, what stimulates the Vedana, the, the mind's imposition of feeling. Because the most unpleasant feeling is to be with something that you don't like. Uh, period. And that are those things, we can't say we like pain. The possibility of it being otherwise means that we constantly oscillate between being with it, trying to do something about it, make it otherwise. And that is what stimulates this recognizing things in terms of being unpleasant. Now, if we say we go back to feelings that are not hardly one would call uncomfortable at all, really, say, you know, much slighter feeling. Like, say, if you go outside and perhaps, you know, you didn't put your your sweater on, and it's just a little bit cool, a bit cold. Now, if you, you stand and feel that feeling, then you can, you can consider it in your mind. As long as you... Uh, go into that feeling with a negative attitude of, or worry, oh, I'm going to catch my death out here, I'm going to be cold, I should have brought my sweater, Maybe, why didn't I bring my sweater? That person looks really warm, they've got a thick coat on. Then that feeling is going to build up, isn't it? Cold, nasty, unpleasant, don't like it, horrible. So we can see how Vedana can be increased. And then if we we think, well, I'll only be here for half an hour, and... Um, you know, or, or we don't allow ourselves to get negative about it. So, well, cold, how cold is cold anyway? It's feeling. It's cold, it certainly does that not liking it. But then the actual sensation of coldness is this way, isn't it? And then there's the not liking. No, we're actually willing, willing to go into the into the sensation, and then the feeling can stop. And in the in Pali language, the very 
These are different words altogether. We could say, I feel cold in English, and I often blur, not having got that precise use of, of terminology. But feeling in Dharma language always means painful, pleasant, or indifferent. So we don't feel cold. There is a sensation of cold, and then a feeling unpleasant. So, the sensation is as it is, and the feeling is relative. If it's been very hot in here, then we might find that, that cold sensation, what a pleasant feeling. If we are, if we actually go to the sensation and go into it, then the, the feeling can be, can cease. There's no pleasant, unpleasant, indifferent, it's just this way. It's cold. Um, say if you are, you can use these simple thing or pleasant feeling. Right? You know when you say if you if you're tired and you lie down or on your side, that lying down can feel pleasant relief to to no longer be standing or sitting. You lie down, pleasant feeling. Out of what? That just the sensation or the or the ending of a sensation, feeling arises. But that feeling is impermanent, isn't it? You can't. If you sometimes, I, you know, we you think sitting all day, oh, agonizing. Be nice to just lie down in a big soft bed. Bliss. Just kind of lie down where there's none of this having to hold the body up and the stiffness in the bone, the aching sinews. Lie down in a nice, soft bed with a duvet over me, warm. No need to put any effort into anything. It's like Nibbana. <laughs> a hot bath. And yet, you can't actually, those, those are, they are pleasant for a while, but they, they become unpleasant. Even you li- lying down isn't pleasant for very long, while you get stiff and restless. And the lack of energy in the body doesn't feel very good. It's being relaxed all the time. Your body starts to lose its tone. It doesn't feel bright. It has no vigor in it. You just feel slack and then your mind gets dull and fuzzy. And you, you probably fall asleep, or you start daydreaming and wondering about this, that, and the other, want to eat something, drink something, go for a run, get out of bed, jump around, go and sit even. If you've ever had to lie down in bed when you're sick, it's, uh, difficult. And a lot, one, I'm not very often ill, but I had, I damaged my back. A little while ago, I had to lie down for about a week, just lying there looking at the ceiling. And lying down, unpleasant feeling. But at first it was quite nice, for a few hours. And then uh, the soreness of lying down, the kind of sensation of the skin on the bed, wanting to shift and fidget around a bit, and every time you shifted it hurt. And and so forth, and just being limited to that position, 
was, was painful. And then not, not having any vigor in the body. When you sit upright, you, get, you can actually get vigor into the body, like a feeling of toned up brightness, which is pleasant. I mean, I could sit. Sit up straight. Vedana is impermanent. Pleasant, unpleasant feelings, neutral feelings are, they don't, don't abide in them, don't believe in them, don't put your, don't rest on them, don't think that that's the way they are. This is what we impose. Now we're dealing with, with the, the level of, of pleasure and pain that is, is manageable. And yet you'd be surprised how manageable it is when there is, uh, say, when we start to investigate rather than always think, deal with it or repress it. We have a pleasant feeling, repress that, ooh, pleasure. You know what happens when I get pleased? I can completely run a completely amok and indulge and then regret it three weeks later. Well, of course, that's, that can be the case if we haven't ever cultivated any restraint. <laughs> I used to be very, very, uh, frightened of pleasant feeling. You know, like first uh, few years of meditation. Because I lived a very un- unrestrained life. Anything pleasant, I just go and grab it and go go really indulge in it. So that set up, the, the karmic result of that was the fear of pleasure, because I couldn't trust what, what I would do when anything got pleasant. No, you know, I, I'd got this, this inbuilt recognition that anything pleasant I'm just going to go straight into and, and uh, not come out of again until three weeks later with a headache or or something like that. Do you know, really quite damaging the body that that lust after pleasure. So one has to cultivate this sense of a restraint, not out of a, just a puritanical desire for some notion of purity, but just because what can we manage? And then when we have got restraint, begins to be part of our our mode of operating. To, to hold things together, to collect, to wisely consider, to measure out, to know when one is going over the top. Then, of course, pleasant feeling need no longer be uh, frightening or thing that makes you reckless. You can contemplate pleasant feeling is this way. And changing. Not that we shouldn't have it, or that it's unworthy, but that it, it changes. So it's not worth basing one's life upon. Because you, you can't do it. How many pleasant things, if you stay with them, really stay pleasant for long? If you look at a, a beautiful picture, a beautiful flower, how long can you look at it before you get bored? It's not because you, if they're eating food, the most delightful food, even before you get physically satiated, or it doesn't, not dependent upon physical satiation, but just the, the taste consciousness. After a while, eating 
you know, mangoes every day, boring. Yeah. Or caviar and avocados, what a drag, that again. Because it's, uh, it's impermanent, it's changing. Contemplate this internally and externally in the, in the world around you, in your, in your meditation practice. When you're dealing with the, say, the internal sense spheres. When we, so putting this to work, when you, when you experience, say, pain in your sittings, then it's not, as long as you're trying to get over it, then you're, you're believing in pain as a, as a reality. Rather than the contemplative view, which, which puts you in this position of, I'm willing to look at this, I'm not jumping to any conclusions about the way it should or shouldn't be. Now, what is, how is it? And then if it's extremely painful, then it's better not to, to stay with that. You know, if, if you really feel that that is damaging or, or causing you to go into such a anxious, frenzied state that you can't maintain any, uh, you can't respond to it at all, you're just getting locked into, into fear or, or tension, then it's better to not, to, to move or to shift or to whatever you need to do to alleviate that. But if it's where you can, you can feel there's a sense of a quality or something looking, recognizing, and the phenomenon itself, and then you contemplate this relationship between the two. Is the looking trying to push that, damp it down, change it, or what? And we can use this, the pain, to, to clarify our mode of, of, um, of relating to until your mind becomes quite supple, open, willing, pliant. And this will make, the, the sensation may still be there, but the painfulness of it dwindles. That's just for, say, more acute feelings. And then the, the nothing special feelings, where you can get feel dull and bored, everything's the same. Notice why, what one, what one feels inclined to. Because keeping in touch with these means that you, you don't just follow, you're not getting impulses that you're not recognizing. Okay, wherever there's pleasant feeling, there will be movement in towards that. Say we're, we're sitting and we like to sit. Good, the body feels strong, bright, and pleasant feeling, and then it's time to walk. Oh, walk. I think I'll do. I think I need to sit some more for my develop my practice. Rather than pleasant feeling that one develops a fondness for. Because following feeling will never take you to the end of of suffering. It'll only take you to the change of feeling. And then this becomes quite helpful to when we begin to contemplate the mind, the the pleasure of say of of when the when there is calm in the mind, or when there is brightness in the mind. 
not that you're denying these these as helpful states, but to use these as foundations rather than as things that we just get the pleasant feeling out of, and then we more, 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 more. It will never take you to the end of of suffering. So you, so you begin to use a means of contemplation that will, relates to internal world, external world, the sense bases, body and mind, by making a note, recognizing, how do you feel about it? What's the feeling about this? Are you enjoying this talk? Pleasant? Unpleasant? Neutral? It's not that there should be one or the other, but as long as you know that, then this will help you to understand whether you're suffering or not. Being that what's pleasant is where we feel enjoyment, and, and where being with what is unpleasant is where we feel pain. But in the ending of feeling, it's not either pleasant nor painful. It is as it is. Now, if you're really enjoying the talk, this is great. It's much better than sitting here watching my breath, having somebody talk about it. Let's read a book, have an interview, play a few cassettes, learn all about meditation. But as long as I don't have to do any of it. <laughs> it's always more inspiring that way. Then, you know, then this is setting yourself up for suffering, isn't it? Because there's only so many cassettes and only so many talks and only before they become, I've heard this. I know that. I heard that yesterday. So what? I'm still doing this, that. No even pleasant feeling is the way this is, and then we recognize and it ends, and then, okay. It's somewhat a little bit wistful about that, of course. Pleasant feeling ends. Right, okay. But something in us recognizes that, uh, that, that we have to get beyond these. As things that we hold to, or, or or, or feel hurt and offended by them disappearing. Uh, to create suffering around it is not necessary. So whenever anything pleasant ends, there is that little movement of uh, slight sigh. But that's, that's part of nature, really. Separation from the loved. But then we can recognize that this is just human nature. And then, okay, start with where it's at now. Accept that. The, the sadness and the happiness of our lives. Without clinging, holding, complaining, being jealous, feeling left out, not getting enough. Why did this happen to me? Feelings. In the contemplation of feeling, there is the ending of, of suffering. Bring this into your practice, and, and as you're contemplating the breath, as you're walking up and down, as you're being around in this in this retreat center, remember the whole form of the day is, is the retreat. Every moment of it is a ret- is a retreat um, time. Relaxing, eating, lying down, having a bath is is part of a retreat, and uh, helping yourself to to look at this by 
these these means, these figurative means, these reflective means, so that all of this is is conducive to your welfare and understanding. Note them as they are, from moment to moment, particularly when you when you feel really held by feeling, and then strengthen your your recognition of feeling around things that are seem to be relatively not much or the other, but you find yourself impelled one way or hanging on because you haven't really noticed feeling. Now, I offer this for your reflection.